0: Hi, this is Sheldon Primus with Safety Consultant with Sheldon Primus. That's the podcast that helps you learn the business of being a safety consultant. I'm going to continue in that tradition right now with Safety Consulting 101. This is the second annual Safety Consultant 101 that we're going to do. And I am going to go over everything to finding your perfect client, choosing the name that will fit and resonate with that client, we're going to learn how to write proposals. going to have a one-on-one time for those people who would like to speak with me one-on-one and time to reflect about what we learned. Learn about partnerships and CEUs and how to use those to boost your business. Learn about event coordination, email marketing, and even instructional design. That's Safety Consulting 101. To find out more information about the event, go to viewstub.com. Forward slash safety consulting one oh one. That's view stub.com forward slash safety consulting one oh one.
1: This episode is powered by Safety FM. This podcast is being sponsored by SafetyConsultantBlueprint.com.
0: In this episode we're going to talk to Doug Castro regarding starting his own safety consulting business, having an actual training facility, and all the things related to being a safety consultant.
1: That your knowledge would be better served if you are your own boss your knowledge can help more people improve their workplace safety most of what you know may be wasting in a job that limits what you can do for the overall health and safety of workers now is the time to start your own business while you're still working for your current employer start your own safety consultant business with the safety consultant blueprint course Get your business legal in just a week. Brand yourself as an authority in safety, even on a shoestring budget. No more stressing about how to price your services fairly, but still make a profit. And experience the amazing feeling of being your own boss. This 100% online video course is instructor led and will give you detailed steps to keep you focused as to what to do next to grow your business. Lay out strategies to keep you maximizing your marketing and networking efforts, and explain how to get money in between clients. Register today at safetyconsultantblueprint.com and enter the code PODCAST. PODCAST. <laughs>
2: Uh, Douglas Castro, I'm with Global Era Training. I'm the director of training operations. And the majority of the work that we do is safety training, uh, leadership training, and then consulting work as well. So um, I've... Successfully taken and passed the uh, costs, the CSST. I trained both of those programs. And as of this past June, I actually uh, took and passed both the ASP and the CSP, both in June. So, uh, yeah, I was a glutton for punishment, took them both in one month. And um, yeah, I'm very happy it's done. Let's just put it like that. So, thanks, <laughs> man. That's a big success. Thanks. Appreciate it. Absolutely.
0: And uh, I talked to Ryder about this before. Ryder Cobb was in one <laughs> of my um, – he's considered to me my mentor. Doug knows him. And uh, Ryder, I talked to him a couple of weeks back on an earlier podcast and asked him as one of the developers of the call program. A lot of that came from Ryder's Notes. Uh, and I asked him uh, pretty much uh, – what, what's the difference or should someone feel the cost versus the cost M is better than the CSP or ASP and he just very basically said it's not a competition he says you you use whatever you need for your experience in order for you to get the designation and they should complement each other as far as designations go have you found that?
2: I've absolutely found that uh, I, I get asked that a lot you know with between the cost, the cost M, the CSST, uh, and then, of course, all the BCSP testing, you know, much of like that, the CET, which is now the CIT, uh, ASP, CSP for college degrees, the OSHT, and the CHST for non-college degrees. And I tell people the same thing. It's not, there's no silver bullet. You just keep adding, you keep stacking. And, and in essence, Sheldon, I think, you know, I hope that you would agree with this is that I think much of it is that we're trying to gain and acquire that knowledge and then gain, acquire, and perfect some skill in order to be marketable, in order to, to provide that service and at the same time be marketable so we can bring it home to our families as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great uh, great point, And and I do uh, agree with that 100% as much as you can. I'm going to study for the ASP and CSP. When I first got into the business, there wasn't a uh, ASP. So I was looking at the CSP and I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe maybe not. And then all of a sudden there's an ASP and I keep kicking myself thinking I should have done this in the early 90s when I was thinking
2: about it. Absolutely. You know, that's the, that's, that's the downside of waiting too long, right, is that we wound up having prerequisites that get put in there so. I tell people we have to I think we have to take that band-aid effect where are you going to pull it off slow or are just going to rip it off fast and um, I think sometimes we're very guilty we make time for many other things and we tend to put, put either professional development or even what's going to benefit us and our families on the back burner a lot of times where you know, we'll pick up another contract or we even do a job or help a friend move, let's say, you know, yeah. but we won't study for that test, whether it's an intimidation factor. I don't really think it is. I think it's more, it's just a discipline issue. And um, we all, I think we all have to just progressively work to get in, to, to be a little bit better than what we are.
0: And some of that I would, I would imagine is attributed to using finances as a crutch when some people, same thing, CSP, ASP test is going to cost everyone the same, but there's some people thinking of it as an investment where there's other people thinking of it as an expense.
2: You know, that's an awesome point. Uh, I'll tell you what I recently had. I I had a person that came through. um, He was a medic turned safety. And a lot of times I find that medics turned safety tend to make less money on the get go because I think industry knows that they'll work for less money because they were medics. And, um, and this person came in, he was, he came in about a year and a half ago. His first class trial by fire was the cost.
0: Yeah.
2: And you, Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, first formalized class, right. Had had an OSHA online OSHA 10 hour, uh, OSHA 10 hour before that and had his basics and his safe land, safe golf, but his first multi-day, Course was the trial by fire, was the C, the cost. And I got to tell you, Sheldon, within nine months, he took the cost, the CSST, the 510, the 500, he Very coupled nice. it. And yeah, and we talked about that. And I said, Well, he says, I said, You spent a lot of money. He says, No, Doug, I invested a lot of money. And I'm, this guy's doing great now. And I'm telling you, Sheldon, between seven to nine months, he went from the least education, from the least educated person in the room to when he was in the 500, which was his last course. He was the most educated as far as training, right? As far as safety training and OSHA training and risk management, he was the most educated person in the room. And I said, and I asked him, I said, Dave, I said, how does it feel to make that change over seven months or nine months, whatever it was? And he says, man, I can't even tell you. He's like, you told me, you told me invest in education, invest in training, invest in credentials. And Sheldon, that's what we have to do. And it's not just safety. It's any industry these days, you know, any industry you we have to train. We have to invest in the training, education. And then ultimately we have to have I think we have to behave and perform and actually deliver. And that's a big part of it as well.
0: Yeah, you at, at some point, you're going to end up having to um, get past the paralysis of analysis, as they call it, and all the things that you've learned and, and gathered up and actually do some action and step out and learn things. And uh, I feel like when people invest in training, uh, sometimes they feel that imposter syndrome saying, well, I know this stuff through my training, but I haven't actually done it. And they get kind of stymied by that and eventually don't grow their business because of that. Do you find that too?
2: Um, I do. I absolutely find that. And and I'll tell you what I I tell people often, Um, because, you know, just like you and me, we we both do online training, right? We both offer online training Um, and we sit in as well. And this is what I tell people is get past the first chapter or the first module, you know, just get past the first one. Once you get past the first one, get past the second one. I think a lot of times it's overwhelming. It's really hard to be self-disciplined sometimes. Uh, It you know, that's why it took me so many years to, it took me 21 years to, to finish a four year degree uh, for my bachelor's degree. You know, at the same time, it yeah. took me years and years and years to test for the ASP and CSP, And um, and there's a reason for that. But I, so I tell people, you know, take it one chapter at a time, take it one module at a time, get through one, don't worry about the 12 or 20 that are ahead of you. And I think that that's a big, big lesson that we have to learn sometimes in this lifetime.
0: Yeah. Now
2: uh, tell me your journey. How'd you, uh, how'd you get into safety first? So, my background comes a lot from the regulatory and compliance side. So, I, I came more for regulatory and compliance. I worked in industrial in my late teens, early 20s, doing a lot of low voltage electronics. So, if we started at the very beginning, I, I probably started doing residential alarm systems at the age of 13 or 14 uh, during weekends, holidays, and summers with a family friend. New uh, Orleans? That was in New Orleans, correct. It was actually really good friends of my parents, and they owned their own company, and I kind of got a taste of it, and I was good. I, I think I was fairly good at it. I-, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that anymore. Now with digital taking over, when it was analog, you just hook up two wires, four wires, you're good to go. You know, now with all these...
0: What forget it now
2: or, or, well, Oh, yeah, mean, 13
0: what, what about year what about go ahead and spill it about how oh
2: about- yeah absolutely man it was that, that probably had to have been 1982 1983
0: so, uh, here's 14 15 year old Doug running the streets of New Orleans doing some <laughs> electrical work and uh, uh, or is it more transition type, like a uh, like you're working with low voltage stuff?
2: Yeah, it's it's more electronic work. So it's a lot of 12 volt. Uh, probably the only one ten, uh, the only 120 that we did was tying in transformers. You know, maybe running an outlet. You know, that that was about it. But it's all electronic. Mostly it's 12 volts and below, DC. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, it was it was good. I did it over summers and holidays. By the time I turned 18, I, um, I graduated from high school right around the same time, my birthday's in the summer. And and um, I I went to work full-time and then I uh, started at University of New Orleans, didn't do so hot. You know, kind of did the four-year, four-college, 21-year route and wound up uh, graduating from Tulane University in uh, 20, 2009. So. It was, it was a long journey, but, uh, but the low voltage electronics, I get it. I think I've always been uh, fortunate to have a kind of a somewhat of a mechanically inclined mind and electronically inclined. Let's put it like this. I know enough to blow myself up and burn myself up, you know, and now and now hopefully I'm trained enough and educated enough to know not to put myself in those positions and just go ahead and contract the workout instead
0: yeah that's what i am uh, um same thing but you know with the rv i had to do everything you know just <laughs> electrician of the plumber i you know modeling everything you know so uh i've learned enough to know you know all right this one's getting a little dangerous it's more than me and my multimeter could take care of <laughs> we're gonna call somebody
2: yeah <laughs> Yeah. Especially with yeah. that generator, right? I mean, that generator, you're still, you're still pushing what, 120, you know? So yeah, absolutely. a little bit more. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So what was the transition? Because I know you've gone, you know, full full bore into, like, all kinds of uh, designations and you're a master teacher and all those other things. So so how did you get from, you know, getting out of that one electronic side and start building your experience, building your experience until you decided, I could do this myself? Well, yeah.
2: I'd I'd say that my mid twenties, before I even got out of the industry to get back in the industry, I wound up uh, in, in a refinery, and they and I was one of these people that we're doing uh, security access, like uh, CCTV, like cameras. Mm-hmm. We're doing security access controls for gate entries and stuff. And I had to go to somebody had to go to a safety meeting, and and you know how this industry is. Some of us fallers fall into it. Some of yeah. us nowadays more are more of us are being educated into it. Some of us hurt our way into it. I was the vol- I was the vol- told person. Yeah. You know, uh, so um yeah, I was I was the person within our company that basically Supermoder just looked at me and said, You're you're going to the meeting. And I said, yep. Okay. And uh you know you know what the scary part is is I'm in there, I got my steel toes on, I got my glasses on, I got my hard hat on. And they're talking about how important PPE is and how we don't want to get hurt. So uh, the value of PPE and the whole time, Sheldon, I'm thinking, what is PPE? Not Uh, once. Yeah, you know, because we did primarily commercial and residential work. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you, I was in that place, new hard hat, new steel toes, you know, new glasses because it was a new customer for the the employer. And, you know, so I'm in a training meeting and... You know, maybe I should have asked. Afterwards, I figured it out. You know, I figured out the PPE was personal protective equipment. It's pretty sad when I'm wearing it. And right. I didn't know what the abbreviation was, right? But, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that was my first touch with it. I kind of got out of it, went into hospitality. I mean, New Orleans is such a big food and restaurant, you know, yeah, yeah. business. The casinos you can't open. You yeah.
0: can last long in New Orleans if you don't have good food
2: yeah, and good absolutely. service. Yeah, you know it. Um, I wound up going to um, work in, I was working at a casino for a while, decided, nah, this isn't for me. I was bartending. It was actually pretty fun, but uh, the lifestyle wasn't for me. The hours weren't for me. Yeah, yeah. That's and, a single day um, job. Yeah, that, you know, went the self employment route a couple times, swore I'd never do that again. We did it again now. You know, I'm sure you probably sworn you wouldn't do it again, and probably you probably did it know. again now. <laughs> um, yeah, but you
0: can't squash that entrepreneur bug.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, but I think the difference is that when you have a product or a service that you really enjoy mm-hmm. and that that you know that you're be, you're becoming proficiently better at you know, as time goes by, I yeah. think there's a little difference and a little more value in in, in being um, you know, in and kind of being part of your own team or your own show. And um, as difficult as it is and as challenging as it is, it's definitely enjoyable. But yeah, so to uh, so post Katrina, you know, we were, you know, we got into a couple other small businesses and that was the time, Sheldon, where I decided, you know, it's now and never, I either go back and get my um, you know, my college degree or shortly after Katrina, I said, this is it. There was a break in time We went into uh, I was doing more recovery construction uh, work for Hurricane Katrina, uh, which I was able to use a lot of. I was already doing some safety work. And then um, I went to work at a law firm, went to work at a law firm. It's called Jones Walker Law Firm. It's actually the largest from Houston to D.C. It is the largest law firm. Um, hmm. they pretty much, yeah, they've bought up you know, or partnered with all kinds of other firms. And I, I think they were close to like 500 attorneys at one time. So wow. I, I worked there. Yeah, I worked there. I got to tell you what, I was there for about two years. I got a great education on compliance and regulatory work, kind of kind of formalized what I had already been doing. Um, yeah. I learned a lot about process, policy and procedure and due diligence. I actually, actually learned how simple the term due diligence is, which is just do the right thing. You know, give give it your best effort to make sure that you're doing the right practice and uh, and to discover whatever uh, hazards or, or predictable concerns you may be able to ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And um, So, I, you know, I wrapped up my bachelor's degree. I was at that law firm, realized I, I, I loved it, but it just couldn't work for that kind of money. And I am I was used to being in the refinery. I was used to being in the field. I was used to being in the truck and making a, a whole better living. You know, yeah, we yeah, probably yeah. the same amount of dollars per hour, but far more hours and per diems. So the BP oil spill, I got the call and that was it. I, you know, I got the call. Uh, I was pretty much guaranteed six weeks of work. I knew that six weeks of work at 100 hours a week was going to be pretty much equivalent of what I was making in six months of work at the law firm. Wow. And that was a launch. Yeah, that was a pad that I needed to get going. And since I already had my bachelor's at that point, I figured I could start working on some safety credentials. And that's what I did. Um, I worked that skill. I was fortunate. I worked it for about five and a half months. It set me up for a good bit. And then I just started grinding out. Sheldon, I started grinding out my 511, my 510, my 501, my 500, you know, maritime trainer courses. Uh, a couple of years later, started training for the University of Texas for their OSHA training program. Uh, now and all with this host- is
0: contract or is it all um you partnered with a uh, partnered with a school or something
2: uh with youtube with university of texas it was contract it was like an adjunct instructor but it was a contract position um they contracted us as a company because two of us trained for them and Mm -hmm. then with uh with mid-south which is alliance and lsu uh alliance safety council and lsu uh partnered to create mid-south osha training institute with mid-south i do both. I'm an instructor for them, but we're also the host in New Orleans and yeah. delivering the OSHA programs uh, here in New Orleans. So it's uh, we've picked up a lot. It seems like the 510 and the 500 are pretty much the more demand courses here.
0: Hmm. A lot of people need that just, you know, as that foundation class. And I think it's It's such a no-brainer for someone who wants to be a safety consultant to offer that service. (laughs) You know, it just will help you. It's not all the time money, but it's going to help you in a pinch every now and then. You're going to get that call and someone's going to want a 10 or a 30. Unfortunately, they're going to call you like a week before they need it. (laughs) You know, hey, who do you have to give me a 30 and I got to have it done by Friday and it's like Monday morning, you know.
2: (laughs) I got to have it done by last Friday is more like it, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well you know you know what I find, Sheldon, is that and, and I had this discussion with uh with Sherry Bingston, right, the director for the Mid South Training mm-hmm. Program. And we recently had this discussion that so many times, first of all, and I'm sure you've seen it out there a lot, where employers or human resources or recruiters are talking about 500 certified or 510 certified. And we mm-hmm. all know there's no such thing. Either you're 510 trained, right? Or you're 500 authorized, authorized to uh, yep. authorize to deliver the 10 to 30. Uh, but what we did talk about was this with Cherry is that I've found, because I do a lot of refreshers also, like the 502 and 503, mm-hmm. or um, uh, outreach trainer for construction, outreach trainer for general industry. <laughs> and I got to tell you that I find that less than 25%, I, I'm even going to venture less than 15 to 20% of the trainers ever train one class. Really? Yeah, their company, I think their companies hire them. And I think that the reason that the 500 and the 501 have been some, become so valuable uh, to us as employees is that it demonstrates to the employer that we've taken some type of adult training uh, program mm-hmm. or course or lessons and therefore they hire us for our ability to train but we tend to train the corporate programs the client driven programs or even maybe a program out of a box like a uh you know like a forklift trainer trainer program or hascom program something that you may buy from a third-party vendor and then implement and and, and train within your organization yeah it makes um, more sense yeah. And then that's what I find. And that's great. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm great with everybody having a 1030, but honestly I'm far more on an employer doing consistent employer uh, training relative to their work environment work relevant to their work process mm-hmm. and uh, doing it on a more consistent level. You know, if it's daily tailgate safety meetings, if it's monthly formal meetings or quarterly formal meetings, or even never, you know, a good onboarding program and a good coaching program within the organization. And I'll take that any day over any other certified training program.
0: Yeah, and um, it's true because when you get someone who thinks that they are OSHA trained through the 10 or 30, you know, they kind of have like a little chip on their shoulder (laughs) almost. And these are the the workers, you know, they kind of feel like, oh yeah, I've been OSHA 10 and 30 and they think that's the, you know, end all, the be all, I've actually hit that and then every once in a while you'll see those who say, well, I've taken the 510 and 511 and uh, they get a, a little step higher and then you get to the people with the 500s and 501s, it's almost. Like a a picking order uh, for different people as they do their OSHA classes. But the bottom line is are they implementing it? Are they using it on a day to day basis? Are they taking each component of those courses and then applying it into their normal job? And that's where the consultant actually has to um, show them okay, here's the topic we're learning, but here's how you use what we're learning right now in your day to day job.
2: Yeah, you know what, I would agree with that 100%. And I've been one of those people, you know, where you get a little bit of education or a little bit of knowledge and you're sitting on top of the world, right? the more training we sit through the more we realize that we don't know right yeah and, and absolutely. That, that's a good place that's a good place to be um yeah. i'll tell you what i recently went to a couple of conferences right i went to the asp AS, conference and the vppa conference Oh yeah. and um same thing just writing down notes writing down notes things that put it back on the brain for me or um also uh maybe things that i've forgotten about or maybe i wasn't even aware of yeah and absolutely. um you know, so and I think that's where the conferences, you know, come into play. I mean, I, I guess it, you know, like right now, I would have preferred not to be doing this interview and been at the NAC conference in uh, San Diego this week. But uh, oh, client yeah. needs, yeah, client Ooh, needs kicked one. in, and I had to cancel. You know, So
0: yeah. yeah, especially San Diego too. I love that area.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, that's what we should have done. We should, we should have been having this interview there, and we yeah. could have both had a reason for being there for the week. You know, yeah.
0: <laughs> absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, but I, I do I like think that. I'm sorry something again.
0: Now, I was saying, I do like that uh, where you, uh, you're you actually going to these conferences and everything and just keep, it seems like a theme for you, just to uh, keep that education coming to you, keep the, the freshness of learning coming to you and utilizing that and then making that either a product, a service, or going to deepen your understanding as a subject matter expert.
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. I'd agree with that. and And so much of it, I think, is... And I think you'd agree with this with the costs or the the OSHA classes, we hear it a lot, which Mm -hmm. is just hearing other people's war stories I've learned probably more in discussions. I mean, I've, don't get me wrong, the costs, right? The, the CSST or the whole NCCR Master training Program, even all the OSHA classes, mm-hmm. I've gotten a wealth of knowledge out of all of them from the subject matter that it's been designed on. But yeah. probably the greatest value is to have been in class with the people I've been in class with. Some of them coaching them and helping them along the way, yep. uh, being a fellow student. And then many of them, just whether it's being a student or an instructor and just listening and just hearing what they have to say, sharing their experiences, maybe yeah. an environment like nuclear that, that I'm not very familiar with, let's say, you know, or maybe a particular manufacturing or a particular logistics uh, facility that I wouldn't even thought that they were implementing safety as much as we're used to seeing it in oil and gas or in power generation for like electrical or uh, natural gas
0: yeah and uh, in your experience let's say you do have the peripheral or, or even the the elementary knowledge of a certain topic such as nuclear but you have uh, some extensive information on other things that can also help that client in a nuclear setting uh, or you know we could extend that into chemical manufacturing or anything else but uh, do you find that first day of class if they hire you to do your specialty let's say they're going to get you in to do a, a electrical safety class for these people and now you're going to be working at that facility doing an electrical safety class which you know but you want to also find out a little bit more while you're there and troubleshoot or not even troubleshoot kind of uh, get a good understanding of what their needs are by listening and talking and interviewing and watching and seeing all the things that could be deficient that you could help them with and then extend that proposal or extend that contract a little to get you some more work later on. Does that happen to you any?
2: I I think that happens a good good bit, you know, and it's funny you say that because we do. Like a lot of times I'll go in and teach courses that uh, maybe are a little bit more technical, like say uh, something like maybe competent person fall protection, right, 16 hour Mm -hmm or a 24-hour competent person fault protection class, or our class, uh, 7DE. I uh, used to be the 2015 version, now the 2018 version. Yep. And that's exactly what happens a lot of times, is I'll walk into an environment that I may not be very familiar with the, with the environment or the process, but through the discussions, and, and what I've learned is this, is don't act like you know it, all right? I, I, I realized this a long time ago, is I don't have to know the answer. I just have to know the question. Because okay. through questions, I can interview them and it can lead us to the appropriate answer. And um, I remember years ago, Sheldon, I'm talking about, um, I don't know, six, seven years ago, uh, there's a company, uh, a shipyard company down here in lower Louisiana. They called me to do their OSHA 30-hour maritimes and um i'm in business with one of my brothers and he calls me later and he says how'd it go and and at the time we really 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 needed this contract i mean it'd still be a great contract these days but at the time it was a little rough it's when the barrel was down to like 23 or 25 and you know everybody needed a lifeline right and this was ours (laughs) and uh and we talked for an hour and 45 minutes for us to provide the my phone with three of them it was a panel interview hmm. come to find out they called people previous employers that they knew on my uh, on my resume on my cv wow. and uh it was more like a job and my older brother said he's like how'd it go you know? i said man i said i don't know if i just had a bid proposal <laughs> call or a job interview and yeah, man, um it was almost the same amazing. thing right yeah, you know, you know what? This this was a client that they were gonna invest and in. it was a good contract. I mean, we probably trained we're supposed to train eighty of them, the market dropped, but we still trade about 40 or 45 people in the 30 hour over uh, a series of, yeah, about 10 or 12 per course. So it was really a great contract. And it just period, dude, just a great group of people. And um, and I told him, when we went to the first interview, I said, man, y'all even called so-and-so and so-and-so. He's like, yeah. I said, man, I was pretty invasive. And he says, are you offended? I said, no, we got the contract. Of course I'm not. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, but what I, I was glad to see that they did their due diligence. And and I've worked in shipyards prior to, but I told him, it, you know, if, I'm far more versed on on and gas than I am, especially uh, a lot of a lot of refinery work, right? A lot of downstream work. Mm-hmm. But um, but years ago, when we started doing some upstream work, and I was doing some training for for one of the uh, for our safe, a certain safety program that we used to do work for, I had somebody that kind of challenged me, and he's like, "Oh well, you don't know upstream." I said, Let, "Let's talk about something." I said, <laughs> "Pull out 1910, pull out 1926." I said, NIOSH, I said, and OSHA worked on a program called Rig Up, Rig Down, because nobody, it, it's partly construction, so 1926, and it's partly general industry, 1910. Yep. And I said, let's talk about the hazards. I said, the number one hazard, I said, do you know what it is? He says, falls. I said, no, it's not. That's the number one injury and fatality. I said, the number one hazard is a fire. I said, because it can affect so many people, and it can become toxic to the whole community. Yeah, yeah. I said, falls is the number one injury. Killer injury. Or, or the killer, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, we put up a trailer, uh, I put up a picture of a, of a frack trailer. And I started describing all kinds of hazards on it. And he says, how do you know this? And I said, you know, when you work with certain clients that are willing to educate you, I said, yep. rather than tell you what you don't know, they'd rather educate you on it, you know, or allow me to ask the questions that I need to ask. I can get to these answers. I said, the hazards are the same. The environment may be different, but a fall, it's a fall. An electrocution is an electrocution. A Absolutely. poisoning is a poisoning. The difference yep. is, is it happening in a warehouse? Is it happening in a refinery? Is it happening in an 18-wheeler or under it? Or is it happening on a drilling rig or a ship? The, the environment is different, but the hazards are almost always the same.
0: Yeah, and then truly once you um, and the the mindset for everybody here as we're listening and uh, hearing us, me and Doug and I uh, going over this, the mindset is. Though you're in for a certain aspect of the job, and they're getting you in as the consultant and the expert, the idea behind it for you should be, I'm here to learn. I have expertise in hazard awareness, recognition, and uh, control, prevention, but I don't know exactly how they're doing what they're doing. Let me self-educate by some interviews or spending half the day watching and observing and then start. Uh, interjecting your systems and, uh, and usually what I'm looking for during that first observation is I'm looking for some of the safety culture I'm looking for absolutes and then I'm also looking for um, what are some of the behaviors that I'm seeing not that I'm going to throw in a whole behavior based safety on them but it's just part of my assessment uh, just so when I'm ready to ask my questions to get more you know, uh, determine the root cause or to get some more understanding on how things are working then and at that point, I am pretty good to um, uh, to the client as saying, you know, this guy's for real. He's not trying to put some wool over our eyes and pretend that he knows everything when he doesn't. And uh, that's the way I, I think the approach should be. And from what I'm hearing from you, it seems like that's that's what you've been
2: doing. Yeah, it's well. I think, like anyone else, Sheldon, I, you know, I've learned much of it along the way, and and there's so much more I could still learn. But I think a lot of it is, most of it in this lifetime, I think it's about relationship building, mm-hmm. and and that's a partnership, right? Exactly what you described right now as a partnership, yeah. Where they're strong on one side, of, you know, they're strong in, in certain domains, and then we're strong in other parts of the domain. So what happens? We blend those together in order to build a program that works, you know, and yeah. to identify whether. whether Where there's opportunities, Um, I'll give you a perfect example. And I used to, I used to think this was um, blowing a lot of smoke, right? A lot of leadership and HR training. When Mm -hmm. you talk about a a SWOT analysis, right? S W O T: Strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, threats, and threats, right? I, I tell you what, for the longest time. And, and, and shame on me, right? Let's start it with this. For the longest time, I thought, oh man, that's a bunch of garbage. That's a bunch of BS, you know. And what I realized is that it's my fault. It was my fault because I didn't quite understand it. And yeah. now, by looking at it, I use it all the time. I just don't use it in a quadrant. You know, I'll, I'll talk to a client, you know, that we're consulting with, or you know, either training or consulting, and they, they, you know, how it is, it tends to go hand in hand, right? Oh yeah. And I'll be like, okay, so tell me, what are your strengths? What do you think your team strengths are? What do you, you know, what do what do you think that your team is excelling at and what they could really benefit and share? You know, and, then, and then the next thing, so what do you think the weaknesses are? What do, do you think that you may have um, some weaknesses or you may have some, some greater risk that you may be exposed to, right? Okay. Yeah. okay, so let's look at those and let's see what opportunities that we have from them. And then also let's look at what threats that, that we may be exposed to. So I use it all the time now, Sheldon, but mm-hmm. it's because I understand it now. And the more I use it, the better I understand it. So it was a long time coming and um, and it was very foolish of me to, uh, to think that, you know, I tell people if something's been around for so long, it probably has some value. We may have lost what the value is. You know, we mm-hmm. may have never known, but it probably has some value that's been around for that long.
0: Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that with you starting your, your business that you uh, you had several businesses along the way. Did you do safety and health twice or three times, or did you do the safety and health consulting and training like uh, the last time, meaning you're currently doing it, so this is the last uh, <laughs> the last entrepreneur job you did is this. <laughs>
2: I, I, I would I would say that I did it the last and only time. And had okay. it been the first time, I probably wouldn't have fumbled over so many stones and rocks, you know, wow. and gone down so many dead ends, you know. So, so um, tell
0: us what the fumbles are if you can, so you can help uh, the new guy. What, what were some standout moments that you think was, in hindsight, you would have done it different?
2: Um, so for, for safety, I can tell you this, is that um, as far as safety... I, I tell people this all the time and, 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 you know, we do, like I said, we do primarily safety, but we do a lot of leadership. And now we're getting into more like marketing side and HR side. And this is what I tell people. It's not about a name. It's not about a logo. You know, we spend so much time thinking, Oh, I've got the perfect domain name that anybody can remember on the internet. Right. I've got them. Yeah. Uh, you, we spend days and days and days trying to develop a logo that we often abandon and go to something else. Yeah, you know, I can't uh, tell
0: you how many logos I have.
2: <laughs> our, our company name, right? And yeah, what absolutely. I realized is this. It's about you have to be able to express yourself yeah. and a lot of it is about marketing and advertising i tell people this all and and educating yourself because yeah. first of all you have to be knowledgeable and get as much knowledge as possible when you're in training with other people you network you start finding out what they're doing you also may find out needs that they may have that uh, you may find some opportunities i can't yeah. tell you how many times i've sat through training with people or going to conferences and because i asked the question or they're asked the question it, it, it generated a conversation and now, either we try to help each other and work together or maybe recommend one another to other potential clients and or trainers. Yeah, absolutely. I that. You know, and I tell people, you know, just do it. Do you do diligence, but you also have to market and advertise. You can't be um, you know, I'm one of these people that that I, um, I think that sometimes you don't want to come off like you're showing off or bragging, but mm-hmm. you have to market and advertise. You know, if you don't tell people what your worth is and what your value is, who will? Yeah. So you know, nowadays, it's it's better and easier than ever. Facebook, you know, the, 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 these... Um, you know, these podcasts that you've been doing are great, right? You know, yeah. it's great for you and people that you interview, uh, you know, Twitter. You know, I tell people, you know, keep religion, keep politics out of it and keep positive. You know, whatever yeah. you do, just, you know, do it, try to do better for the industry and maybe ask yourself, hey, what can I do to be better? For the industry, and what can I do to be better for me and my family, and, and yeah. friends, and, 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 if, and if we try to help those that we come in contact with, and at the same time try to try to make ourselves uh, better quality and uh, and maybe give a little more, I, I think a lot of times it comes back. Uh, I think it comes back in return, and then we get multiplied as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, what do you tell the guy or girl or whoever's starting that says, hey, I need to make money in a month. It's September 1st, September 15th. I got to pay something November 1st or October 1st, October 15th. What's your strategy for that guy that says, uh, rent's due, bud, what's going on? I got to do something.
2: I tell them they better go sell blood more than once, man. You know? So no, I'll I tell you what I tell people is this. Anybody looking to get into any business these days, First of yep. all, you better do it full time. You know, I used to have a person that um, th- this guy was a really nice guy, but he just, you know, I think that his effort could have been a little bit better. And yeah. he was one of the guys that would want run, run in and be like, all right, everybody, 110 till the end. And I would not participate. Mm. And he says, Doug, man, you got a problem with it? I said, yeah, why? I said, all I got's 100% and I can't even give that. I yes, said, right. because, none of us, because none of us do, right? I said, you know what? I'm going to give you everything I have. And this is what I tell people now, add a few more percent on the back. You know, whatever you're doing, <laughs> add a little bit more and we're gonna be a little bit better today. And if tomorrow we can be a little bit better than that, let's try to be a little bit better than that. You continuous improvement and if you're looking to make a killing, you may, you may need to reconsider your, your, your position. And this is what I tell people a lot, Sheldon, is I tell them, don't quit your day job. Build your business nowadays with technology And nowadays with the internet, you can build your business at night on weekends, build an internet presence, build a blog, write, you know, do podcasts, video and build your business at night, build your business over the weekend. Try to uh, go ahead and fulfill those contracts when you have them on your vacation days or holidays, because the worst thing in the world to do is try to start a business from scratch and live off of it at the same time. There's a reason why small family farms rarely ever make it because we eat the crops, you know, and and, and I tell people that all the time, you know, keep your day job, do some consulting on the side as long as it's not a conflict with the employer that you work for until you can find an opportunity to do more on on your own. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So basically, you're telling them they'll have to do it. You're, 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 uh, well, I should say my summarization is uh, basically, you know know going in that you're going to have to go full time to really branch out and to really uh, kind of get your, your company to be seen as many people as you can in many ways as you can, and that effort's gonna take a full-time effort, but it's smarter to start uh, a little bit at a time, build your business while you still got some income coming in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, and then I tell people also is don't um, don't don't put so much pressure on people. You know, like uh, sometimes we think, oh, well, I know this person, that person. You know, you start thinking about family, friends, acquaintances. It's it's no, you know, that's normally not where most of our business comes from. Yeah. You know, what I've learned for me is that. Those people many times would like to help me. They may not have the opportunity to. And then some people don't want to risk the relationship. So what I tell people is this. I don't want to do business with my friends. I want to become friends with the people I do business with. You You know, know, and there's a big difference there. Yeah. Oh, I I think I've learned that the hard way. That sounds like a t-shirt. You know, it's funny you say t-shirt because let me tell you why. They have these guys that are on YouTube, right? And they would call it the 10 t-shirt theory and they would say you come up with a great idea right, of a t-shirt, and uh, your mom and dad buy one, your grandma buys one, your aunt buys one, you know, and all of a sudden, you're, you're full of joy and you take that money and you reinvest it into 50 or 100 t-shirts and you double down or triple down your money and then you get stuck with all these t-shirts. Because yeah, the yeah. you were <laughs> supporting you, maybe yeah. you didn't necessarily believe in the product that you were selling, right? Yeah. And 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 they said, if you go to the corner and you sell out of 10 t-shirts, then buy 100 or buy 1,000. Because there if you, you can go. sell them to strangers, now you're in business. And and you know and and and, I, and that's a good one. Yeah, they were, yeah, I tell you what, they were a little they were a little hard to hear sometimes. You know, they're a little hard in the ears. But <laughs> but I tell you what, I I listened to after that. You know, I mean, they really they did have some great ideas, and 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 I get that, and I absolutely agree with it. Is you know, don't. I tell people this all the time. I've made these mistakes, right? You know, don't think that, oh, I know this person, that person, I've got X amount of contacts on LinkedIn. I'm going to start hitting everybody up. No, yeah. Nobody likes to be sold and, and nobody likes the smell or the or the feeling of desperation. Yeah, absolutely. So be cool. Act like you've been there. Act like you can't pay those bills on October 1st, even if you can't yet, you know? <laughs> so
0: that means like uh, yeah. uh, the the incentive um, follow-up where uh, you know that you want to get somebody to get you some business and you maybe even it's a class or something and you know, you need to follow up with them. But if it's Monday, you call in the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Hey, what about this class? Uh, When, uh, what about the contract? What about the proposal I just sent you? Then it does give you that air of desperation, right?
2: You might, yeah. You might want to know where to cut bait, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I can tell you this Sheldon, and and I've heard this a lot. Um, I used to do, a good bit of 10 and 30 hours, right? I really don't do many anymore, Um, you know, we do them for about a couple of handful of clients at most every other year, and that's about it. I tell people this, is that one of the, we used to get a good bit of business from that um, and we were really surprised. And this is what people would tell me. They say, I've called seven people or I've called four people and you're the only one to answer the phone or you're the only one that called me back. I tell people. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. If you're going to put your number out there, answer the phone. If you're not going to answer the phone, get back to them as quickly as possible. And if you're going to tell them you're going to send them a bid, send them a bid. Yeah. You know, and and look, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of not sending a bid on time these days. You know, we're at that growing. Uh, a few years ago, we didn't know if we were going to make it. Right. Yeah. Uh, three, four, five years ago when the market when, cause you never, you should never open a business. This is a tip I can tell you, and then I'll go forward again. Don't mm-hmm. open a business when the barrel is $110 on its way down to 23. It's the worst time you can ever open a business to support the oil and gas industry. We learned that the hard way. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, when the barrel was still at it, like 30, 40, we didn't know if we we're going to make it. And then we started seeing the light, but I didn't know if it was a train or actually daylight, you know, it could have been a train coming at us or actual daylight and come to find out, it was daylight. Right. I was very happy.
0: Right, we like yeah,
2: daylight. I know. <laughs> and um, and I tell you what it was one of those things that I would often hear, right? Hey, people don't call back. People don't put out a bid, you know. I tell people, put out a bid. don't give don't give the client too many decisions or options because you may wind up confusing them. So have a straightforward, a clear bid. It doesn't have to be overly wordy. It just has to be clear and concise. Mm-hmm. and and have so instead of working so long to do a logo, spend that time instead or invest that time in marketing or, and or build it up a good proposal form. Uh, that know. will help you far greater in this industry than anything else. and that's something that I had to learn the hard way. You know you, yep. you know it's like the, it's like the dog that caught the car you know the dog always chases the car barking right one of my dogs always wants to do it well if she catches the car what's she gonna do with it <laughs> roll over her foot <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know so the thing is is that that's how this business is you market 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 you get the call and then you don't you don't come through you didn't even yeah. give them an opportunity to give you the work yeah and then you're wasting your time and wasting their time
0: and sometimes that gets around too so you may have a small community and all of a sudden two people are talking in a meeting and they'll say oh yeah well do you know somebody who does safety and health And i'll be like well i tried this one guy but they didn't even call back and yeah. that doesn't doesn't help you either
2: I, I would absolutely agree with that
0: yeah i found that um The simpler proposals, and I have several proposals. If you wanted one, you go to sheldonprimus.com backslash proposals. You could download a free one. Uh, But I with my proposals, I have them in different ways. So I do match the proposal needs per the actual company. And sometimes I'm pretty much where it looks almost like a, almost like an invoice, if you will, uh, (laughs) that you would see in a sheet. I've done that before with a cover letter and almost like an invoice of services for some smaller companies where that's all they they really want to see. But then I've got some proposals that are five, six pages uh, because of, the type of business I'm trying to get and the cost, you know, if you're going to ask somebody for $30,000, you want to make sure, you know, it looks good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. I
0: do, I do have, you know, um, adjustable proposals for that one purpose and it does make a lot of sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, what's your training tips? I know you got a limited time and trying to, you know, respect your time there. Are, are we doing pretty decent?
2: No, we're okay. I've already talked to a client and we, we push back to after lunch. So sorry, I meant okay. to say that earlier.
0: So okay, good, good. good. Um, what's your uh, your training tips? Because I know for me, I, I I see training a lot. And when I do see uh, training and there's part of the cost class, which is again, Certified Occupational Safety Specialist. I, we didn't say that in this episode, but I talk about about costs almost every episode, so <laughs> by now, so you guys should know COSS, but um, I do see some students that have struggles trying to get their their speaking legs, if you will, you know, so what's your tips for for telling someone, you know, this is what you should focus on when you're delivering your message, delivering your content, to help them feel ease and get the information out.
2: Um, I would say, Sheldon, and I've talked about this a lot. You know, a lot of trainer training programs. The same thing with the cost, right? When training the cost, when they do mm-hmm. their ten minute presentation at the end, or the OSHA five hundred when they do their presentation, and and I tell trainers a lot, or to be trainers a lot, is first of all, prepare. Don't go in unprepared. Yeah. Second of all, don't overcomplicate. And I think what happens is this: I tell them simplify. We want. to to cover way too much information. There's, you know, just like the old, uh, just like on cell phones, right? The the old adage that there's an app for that. When it comes to training, there's a course for that. And I've been often way too guilty of trying to add too much information. And and, and I suggest to students the same thing. Take your foot off the pedal (laughs) and go to the basic fundamentals. And then, when it comes to PowerPoint, don't read the slides to them. You might read an occasional slide because it's that important. I yeah. tell people three things. You want to really, really, really get a mob mentality during training, read all the slides to them. Yes. You want it to get worse, make them read the slide. You want it to yes. get real bad, make them take turns reading the slides out loud. Oh,
0: <laughs> you know? yeah, that's bad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I tell people just, you know, simplicity is basic. Use enough whether it's handouts or whether it's slides or even a short video use enough to st- to stimulate and generate conversation yep. and if we can get people talking and we can get people roundtabling, i am a, the biggest proponent of roundtable discussions um some, sometimes a little bit too much uh, yeah. but i prefer that you know i get really good reviews on it and I'll tell you what, one of my last classes called me squirrel because they said that they said anything they threw out there I'd chase it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great.
2: Well, it was a compliment, it was a check at the same time, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> To so get your line Well they laughed about it and I told them I said well no, I'll back off of that and they said no 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 they said we like it because you answer the questions that we have I said, yeah, but and then later we're fighting for time and you know and then that's one thing you know but took your time and I'm very guilty of that but your time it's like I said there's a, there's a course for that right So uh-huh. uh, keep it keep it within the scope of what the course is and try not if you paint outside the lines a little bit that's okay. But don't get too far out because you won't cover what your subject matter is. And um, so I, I can't I can't express that enough. But I, but I tell people, you know, prepare. Um, I will tell you one thing that I don't believe in is PowerPoints, this old ideology of one slide per minute. A lot of people think, oh, 60-minute presentation, 60 slides. You yeah. know, how about 20 or 30 There's and just no some really good discussions, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. You know, I tell people, you know, come up with a word or two, come up with an activity, and and get good at again. Just like if you have clients, and 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 if you're doing training, get good at the questions because yeah. when you can generate questions, you can generate conversation. And through and someone said this a long time ago to me into a class. It was a class that I, I had done this, and I, I it was a four-day compliance space class and he says Doug you know what I like and I said what he says the education is in the conversation there you go and yeah and 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 you know I really really had a great appreciation for that but you have to have the subject matter to back it up you know you have to go back to either the standards the corporate policy the programs the procedures you know you have to go back to case studies you know sample forms you know something tangible that they can put their hands on and that they can later reflect on if necessary
0: and people like when they learn new things too so if you you may have to deep dive on a few things here and there because you're you're basically giving the student extra information that they will later on kind of claim as their own and regurgitate out the they thing that you just told them. And then they feel good about themselves <laughs> and they learned something that day, but you know, you just told them something and they're going to take credit.
2: <laughs> exactly. What's it called? Rip off R&D, right? Rip off and duplicate. R&D, right? that's right. Everybody <laughs> needs an R&D department. <laughs> uh, Rip off and duplicate, you know, so, but no, but that, I think that's the biggest thing Sheldon and you know, you heard me mention it earlier, due diligence, you know, yeah. If, if anyone's going to be doing some consulting work or if anyone's going to be doing some training, uh, do your due diligence. And what I mean by that is do the right thing. You know, Prepare yeah. adequately. Give adequate information and material. If you don't know, don't be afraid to say you don't know. And if mm-hmm. you're wrong, come back and fix it. You okay. know, That's one thing that I'm very adamant about is if you're wrong, come back and fix it because we don't want people out there with the wrong information. You know, and and I will say this, um, and it used to annoy me to no end. You know, like I said, I came from a lot of refinery turnaround work, is that if I'm working with a student or a client or some people in the field, and they say, "Show me where it says it," it yes. is our responsibility to show them where it says it. Because if we can't put our finger on it, why are we repeating it? first of all. Yeah. Second of all, if we're the subject matter expert, we should be the ones that can put our finger on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do believe that wholeheartedly. So I know sometimes people regurgitate things that they hear roughly from, um, usually it's, it's, a. Uh, it's going to be a letter of interpretation that they're calling as an actual OSHA standard. And they hold it in as you know, this is, this is the law in the, in the standard. And you're like, yeah, it's law, but it's law because of the letter of interpretation. It's not actually in the standard uh, the way you say it. And uh, there's a bunch of those little instances. So you, you were going to end up having to sometimes tell people, Hey, I got to do some research. <laughs> and yeah. I know where to look, but, I may have to do some research on this one if I can't answer you right away. Um, So yeah, I I do agree like that. Um, You have a unique situation and, uh, I, I don't want to break your your chain of thought, so if you need to go back, please do. But I do no, want to. No,
2: I have no chain of thought, so I'm okay, man. You know I'm You're Okay, okay. All the trains have left the, detail, the uh, depot. The depot. It's it's pretty rough this week, man. I just you know this week I'm flying on this.
0: You're different than uh, myself and some other consultants, where you physically have a location. Uh, what was that? Walk me through that decision on on what's what you thought was. Well, I can make more money by having a physical location, uh, including you know. Having to pay utilities and rent and everything else, what what got you the um, the, the market? Uh, I guess. I don't know if it's a study or if it's just a feeling you had that says I could do this with the building.
2: You mean what you mean what gave us the audacity to think that we could do it? This audacity. Way? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You know, Well, I, OK, again, you know, I would highly recommend this is that don't bite off more than you can chew. One of the reasons why we almost didn't make it was exactly that reason. You know, we rented uh, we've got 4000 square feet here. And um, and we actually rented empty warehouse space. All I think 600 of it was developed. The rest of it was not. And mm-hmm. we built along the way. I would highly suggest anybody that's looking. First of all, limit yeah. your liability. You know, because when you sign a lease, it's all liability. The <laughs> utility. You don't use it. Even if you don't use it, you have a certain cost every month before you even turn the key to get in. Absolutely. Um, You know, and it's funny, Sheldon, I was going to say something earlier and I kind of hesitated, so I'll say it now, is if you don't have a facility, take what you want to earn and multiply it by three, and that's probably what you need to gross to bring home what you want to bring home. And if you do have a facility and or people that help you, you better multiply that number by five. At least, and uh, for a small business, and I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about something where you have less than four or five people. You better yeah, you're gonna have to have staff. Above. You know, yeah. And, and and the thing is, most of them are not even full-time. They're contract. So you're you're saving there. But, you know, when it comes to a building, so let me come back to what you're asking. When it mm-hmm. comes back to a building, um, we're actually looking for some additional space out of town now uh, to cover some additional needs where we're looking at the Texas area right now because mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of work out of Houston. And I'll tell you, our model's different there. You know, here in New Orleans, we said, oh, we're going to build it to suit and this and that. And mm-hmm. we're so heavily invested here that we, six, almost seven years, later we're just starting to see a return on it um in houston what we've decided is we're going to pay a little bit more rent but we're going to get something that's already developed that we just have to furnish yeah yeah at at worst maybe paint right maybe a couple colors or meet even more decoration and furniture you know but uh you know and 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 like say projectors and banners and, and items like that but don't don't try to bite off more than you can chew and don't Get into construction because we're not in the construction business. Yeah. So, had I do had to do it over again, um, we would have had a smaller footprint. Um, also, like I said, it would have been something that was already developed. It just had to be maybe more cosmetic appealing and more classroom and office furniture brought in. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's probably the best tip that I can give someone. But if you don't have to do that, uh, look, you know, look and partner with um, either certain hotels where you, you can get good rates. You know, yeah. uh, you know, work work with the hotels. Sometimes some are, some are more expensive than others. Look at your uh, like your VFW halls or your VOA halls, um, yep. uh, your of foreign wars because um, many of the or Lions Clubs many of those will also offer you rent at very affordable rates as well yeah
0: libraries chambers of commerce
2: yeah yeah, libraries, they're funny. Some libraries are funny, yeah, but you're right. Chamber of Commerce is another one. Libraries are funny because a lot of times they'll give you the room for free, but you can't charge. So, and then yes. what happens is you're basically saying that you're not charging. And, you know, I'm one of these nowadays, you know, I tell people, hey, let's try to do the right thing if we can, you know, obviously it's a public access, you know, but if we're going to be generating money off of it, you, you can partner with so many other organizations that have it or even a restaurant where you own to buy food and maybe they can put you in a private room or something like that yep. without a bar. Without a bar since it's <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you are a nonprofit as well, right? So, what's the benefit yes, yes, of that? Um,
2: it's the biggest uh, reason. One of the main reasons we did it was to uh, be able to bring the OSHA training program into New Orleans and partner with Mid South. Uh, other than that, I mean, we may go after some grants and see if we can develop product. I, I think that you know, one of our um, one of our strengths is. Building training material that's palatable, um, yeah. that's very understandable, and that we can do it in English and Spanish. And, you know, anything kind of like what you know, Sheldon, anything from video production to workbooks to, you know, electronic media. So, so we definitely have a strong suit there. Oh, the very stuff. small organization yeah it's you know there's a benefit there so we're we're looking at grant money but other than other than going after grants uh, we don't do we don't collect any donations you know we don't ask for donations so other than grants and other than working for the OSHA uh, uh, program to bring the OSHA program to New Orleans because it was a requirement Mm -hmm. in order to be a host to be nonprofit, I I think that it's perfectly fine being for profit because when you're for profit you build value in the business and at the end you may be able to sell it whereas a nonprofit, everything at the end either gets given away or, um, either gets given away or, or it has to be liquidated. So, you know, I think if I had my choice for
0: for basically, uh, I I guess it's, it's almost like, um, emergency fund where you have a certain amount that is an emergency fund, but it's not actually there for profit, you know, like a do not touch money. Are you allowed to do that?
2: Well, we can, we can hold, we can have money in bank accounts, right? But when it comes down to liquidating it, it's all going to be gone. It's all got to be liquidated. Now, the thing is, the funny thing is, is because we we looked it up, right? When you, because we we looked it up and said, okay, so how do we pay ourselves as being a nonprofit? And the thing is, you can pay yourself, but it's got to be basically, it's got to be, it can't be for any malintent. So, you know, if you're legitimately, we build training, right? We conduct training programs. We do marketing. We travel. So just like any other nonprofit organization, um, use the United Way. The Red Cross—they have marketing dollars. They pay salaries. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, they what you cannot pay is dividends, and you can't have value or product left at the end. You know, so you know, if I had my choice, and if, if OSHA would have said, "Hey, you can be a for-profit and partner with a uh, with an ed center," we probably would have we probably would have just done a for-profit. Yeah, and yeah. um, you know, just because I think that uh, there's less scrutiny, you know, but at the same time, I'm okay with it because I, I think because at the end of the day, we feel that we. Do the right. We think we feel we do the right thing. We do our due diligence. You know the prices are what the prices are, but mm-hmm. in the end, our students and the because we the consultant is not done through Global Era. Only training is. Um, we've got a sister organization that we've been here longer than than Global Era that actually is a consulting organization. So it, and that's kind of hard because you have to keep the two separated. There are a lot of you know there, there's a lot of legal requirements there, and um, I tell people this: most people. If you do something well, you only need one business. You know, unless you have contractual requirements like this where you have to have two organizations, you know, mm-hmm. or you're trying to give something back in the form of, uh, let's say, like I said, production for grant materials or whatever the case is.
0: Yeah, that's what, what I'm doing it? with my nonprofit. I want it for the grant materials so that I can start getting free training in an underserved location. So I, that's why I started the, the nonprofit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In underserved locations, but, but even in bigger cities, right, there are a lot of unserved, underserved pop, uh, population as well. Absolutely. You know? and, and I tell people, um, we're working with a couple of people right now, um, and, and this is to put it on anybody's radar who's looking at maybe doing their own work, is uh, return the work. So people who have been incarcerated mm-hmm. or people who are um, on social assistance and trying to get off of social assistance, Mm -hmm. check check with many of the organizations within those areas because they'll have wellness programs a lot of times and they'll they'll pay for training they'll they'll work with providers like you or me to pay for training so um so i tell people you know look look for those opportunities incumbent worker grants right or uh yeah public assistant dollars And, and in the end give a fair product if somebody goes that route sometimes it's for profit sometimes it's non-profit i don't i don't really care in the end give a give a adequate product or rather a good product and a good service for what Mm -hmm. you're collecting yeah if you do that there's nothing that should go wrong because we the whole thing is about helping all of us as a community earn more right so that we can all grow because if people behind me if if i earn if the people in front of me help me earn more they're going to benefit from that as well and if the people behind that come behind you and me in this industry or younger people or newer people to the industry and mm-hmm. we help them and they excel it's going to benefit us as well so it, yeah, it, it's totally I, I think it's totally um there's a value to that cyclical environment and and you know and we can help that cycle
0: yeah hey the one last question what's it like being your own boss
2: oh man it's horrible it really is you know it's you know well you have to beat yourself up and I don't like to give myself accolades I mean that's right you know yeah. I, I, you do sometimes right you're like okay I did good today but it could have been better you know it yeah, seems like the yeah. boss is never ever satisfied and um I think that's the hardest part of all of it is that the boss is never satisfied but at the same time I happily welcome it as well you know yeah. because like I said it could you know it could have been um it, it could always be harder, you know, and, and what I'm always looking for, I, I'll tell you where I judge things now, Sheldon, uh-huh. I don't judge it off of, Oh, what I think about a train, I judge how many students I stay in contact with after the training, how many clients, go. whenever we do work with clients on the for-profit side, right? What organization, um, how many of them are calling us and saying, Hey, Doug, here's some tickets to this, or, Hey, do you have tickets to a Saints game? Um, and, and I, I find that that's where there's a significant value Is that when you're building relationships and you stay in touch with people? Yeah. I know we're doing the right thing. Same risk
0: yeah absolutely so plug away brother just tell me what you guys got over there in New Orleans so, uh, for everyone listening I'm going to do my best to get some training over there with Doug so we can do some New Orleans uh, maybe we'll all meet over in uh, French Quarter <laughs> and, and eat at uh, Parlin Connection oh no par- yeah. Parlin Connection I gotta say parlin, it right you <laughs> gotta,
2: gotta, gotta speak like New Orleans yeah yeah it's yeah, Parlin uh, Connection uh, exactly.
0: every time I say Pralines they, they look at me like what <laughs> you're not from here <laughs>
2: So then we do the cost training program. We do the uh, NCCERCSST. It's a, it's a hybrid course between online and in class. And then uh, we also do test prep, CHSC and OSHC together, ASP and CSP together. Um, and actually those we've taken them now to hybrid also. 20 hours online, 20 hours in class over three days because we're actually working with Columbia Southern to see if we can get college credit for them. You know, so, uh, we're, yeah, we're trying to get more value for the people that come through here. And, uh, so we're trying to see if we can get some college credit for them and, um, and, and just see what happens. So just, you know, we're just, we're just pushing that rock and that's it. Just pushing it forward, you know, and just doing our part. Yeah, you guys are always welcome to come down and uh, just remember who that Uh, website is globaleratraining.com. Spell it. So uh, uh, global, G-L-O-B-A-L, era, E-R-A, training, dot com. So it's (laughs) globaleratraining.com.
0: Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, Doug. And Doug even helped me with a class I needed to get filled. He's, he's my substitute instructor for one of my classes. So it's awesome. I uh, had to bribe him.
2: Yeah, well. You know, you figure you figure after you pass me through the instructor part of the COSs man I owe you man you know oh uh, uh, yeah I, I call you the, co- the cost Godfather man you know
0: <laughs> yeah uh, if you don't know Doug actually did his cost instruction with me I was his uh, observing instructor and it was really fun he did a great job we uh, we had a good time so, you, were, you
2: were the final gate man you were the final gate the to get <laughs> through it so.
0: the gatekeeper that's great so I appreciate you man. Thank you so much. I'll let you get back to your day. safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form but I figure I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people a direct path on what to do step by step but I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant.
1: Register for the safety Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to us on... Well, listening to me, <laughs> I always say, "Yeah, listening to us, but there is no, it's just me listening to me on whatever podcatcher you're using. I kind of like that name now, podcatcher. So, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, there's a whole bunch of them now, right? Google even has Google podcast. So, um, iHeartRadio, that's a big one. So wherever you are listening to me, thank you so much. Uh, if you can, I would love it for you to go ahead and rate the show. Rate it as whatever you feel like it. But it's good to see something there because that's one of the things that the pod catching community looks for is ratings, uh, how many people subscribe, and then also uh, sharing and sharing. I would have really appreciated if you're going to share the podcast to someone else that you believe is going to be a very good, or at least someone that this is good for them, then go ahead and do that. Thank you so much. All right, let's get into the tip of the week. So the tip of the week is going to be about growth. The interview was uh, with Doug Castro, and he was telling a lot about his growth and all the different things that he did. Once you have that entrepreneur bug, it's so hard for you to, get to stop it in one way versus another way. It's just your mind kind of keeps going. And uh, for me, I definitely have to work that out in my mind where I'm constantly chasing Sometimes, I shouldn't say constantly, sometimes, we're chasing the next opportunity. So that means um, growth can come fast, but if it's not planned right, then it may not be sustainable. So that's the, the key here. So in planning growth or looking for growth, I would suggest that you just really have to start with opportunities. Once you get these opportunities, then you're looking to see... Am I a good fit for these opportunities? And then you might also want to think about is there a way for me to do a service contract? And if there is a service contract I could do, then that means I could start thinking about I'm um, working with this client every month for a certain amount of uh, whatever the contract price is. And therefore, You could grow with many of those. So growth then becomes very controlled, something that you're getting paid to do. Uh, Fast, rapid growth may be if you decide that you're going to have two or maybe even three people who are going to be 1099 miscellaneous, which is in the U.S. a form of saying you are an independent contractor and then you are responsible for everything, your own taxes, your own health care And there's a lot of people that use that that way to build their business, to grow their business is by having more than one person that can do training and consulting services. Another way for growth can be just, you know, getting the actual center. That's just gonna be your name. You're gonna host your own classes there. If you're hosting your own classes at your own center, costs will go down in when you do use it in um, multiple meaning not just one a month you're gonna have to have several a month and you need to find your number so you'll know what that number is for you so that it will be successful as far as a venture but uh, that is another way to grow However you decide to grow, just really think about, is it sustainable for you? I'd like to grow by traveling. So traveling for me and my wife, sustainable for us. We're empty nesters. It's something that's fun for us. If I could add work and fun at the same time, win win. So uh, growth to me, that's what it looks like, you know, getting more clients that are in different locations and including international as well. So however you decide to grow think it through make sure it's sustainable try to think of long-term goals versus short-term and then from there go ahead and do your research and execute if it's not working well then readjust then execute again and just keep going until you find the right um right growth model for you so that is the tip of the week And I will see you next Monday.
1: This podcast is being sponsored by SafetyConsultantBlueprint.com.
0: This episode has been powered by Safety FM. Hey, this is Sheldon Primus with Safety Consultant, with Sheldon Primus, and that's the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. I just want to invite you this September to an event called OSHA Compliance Help. This event is going to be co-hosted with my business partner, Kevin Yarbrough. Uh, Kevin Yarbrough has retired from OSHA as the Assistant Area Director of the Tampa office, and he has 26 years of service with OSHA. So in this event, what we're going to do is we're truly going to go over things that have uh, effectively been hard for people to understand about OSHA. So we'll talk about how to survive and thrive through an OSHA audit, OSHA record keeping, understanding the CFRs, how to decode compliance letters, and much, much more. This is going to be your time to truly talk to someone who's been in the business and someone who's been in OSHA together. So go to viewstub.com forward slash OSHA compliance help viewstub.com forward slash OSHA compliance help for more information and for event tickets.